Police today continue to search for any clues in the near-fatal shooting of 29-year-old William Carnes and the rape of his girlfriend. At first, Los Angeles police thought that the murder of a young woman last March was an isolated act of violence. But since then, they've come to believe it was connected to a wide-ranging series of assaults by a killer who's become known as the Night Stalker. Today, the search for California's Night Stalker continues, and many residents sleep with their doors and windows bolted tight, despite 100-degree temperatures. At the center of the storm, one of the most loathsome bits of human scum ever to stain the pages of American criminal history. His name is Richard Ramirez, California's most cowardly mass killer, a devil known as the Night Stalker. I believe in the, in the evil in human nature. This is a wicked, wicked world. In a wicked world, wicked people are born. I have felt powers that are evil. Hello and welcome to Totally Weird and Twisted. Viewer discretion is advised. Hey guys. Hey guys, cheers. Cheers. Ooh, we got actual glasses this time. We got some actual audio of the fucking cheers. All right. So, it's been a little bit. Taz. 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 <laughs> sup, sup, sup. Sup. That's the chair also. Mandy. What? Guys. Oh, wait. Let me preface this with when I did the last opener. <laughs> Well, yeah, the last opener was your story. So when I did the last opener, it was not about sex with inanimate objects. This one is. But unfortunately, <laughs> we are back to that because, you know, these stories that we've already done just keep having updates. Guys, not only do I have a Yuri <laughs> Talachko update about Margot, the sex doll. The sex doll. The sex doll. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I have another one. For the next time Mandy has a story that is another man with another sex doll. So guys, you have to keep listening yeah. <laughs> because I keep finding these amazing stories that I cannot wait to share with you. So now Katie's new thing is the inanimate object sex. <laughs> it is, but not for myself. Just but to, it's because so many people are, are fucking weirdos yeah, and I love talk. telling you all about them. So nuts. My next opener... Next, next opener is about the history of popcorn, so, you know. I'll take the sex with an animal <laughs> Sounds like a fucking doozy. That's so good. I can't wait. You guys are going to be waiting a month for that one. Thank God, because it sounds <laughs> gripping. It is gripping. So just hold on to your britches. Well, speaking of holding on to your britches. I'm so excited. Let me hear it. She was starting to, like, read it out loud, and I was like, no, I don't want to know yet. Bodybuilder cheats on sex doll wife with bizarre object while she gets repaired. Now, don't forget, guys, mm. for those of you that have been holding on to this gripping story this whole time, Yuri also fucks people. Right. So the fact that not only did he cheat on his object wife, he cheated on her with an object. Right. And so if you remember. He's now an objectum sexual. <laughs> which, well, he already was. Which but... enraged Mandy oh, when yes. we talked I about. Love, I don't love that. I don't love the term. I don't love the way it sounds. I don't like anything about it. See, she's getting enraged but again. She's not on the roids this when time. She was talking about. I am on these new acne medicine for like hormonal acne. So it changes my hormones around a bit. So we'll see what happens. But <laughs> no promises. <laughs> yeah, no promises here. Um, but if you remember on her last update, oh no, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, it was her last update with Yuri. I was like, you know, I wonder if he ever cheats on her since she's a fucking doll and she's not going to get mad at him. And turns <laughs> out I was right. He did. Buckle I up. did, however, assume it was going to be with a human person. I did too. You know, somebody that can talk and yeah, I don't know, fuck. interact with you while you're doing it. Fuck you back. I don't know. All right, so <laughs> fuck you back. <laughs> I don't know. Oh All right, God. guys. So Yuri Talachko from Kazakhstan married Dal Margo last November after saying he fell in love when he spotted her at a nightclub. Of course, we remember. Yes, we do. But he had to send her away for repair after breaking before Christmas. I'm going to assume it's not from his large dick. <laughs> a bodybuilder who married a sex doll 
quote unquote, cheated with a bizarre object while she was being repaired. Yuri Chilachko from Kazakhstan, Mary Doll Margot last November. No, I am not repeating myself. The Mirror UK is. <laughs> but he revealed Margot had broken days before Christmas and had been sent away from, for repair. In the meantime, he posted a video on Instagram of himself touching a silver object with small ridges in nothing but his underwear. Ew, what, what was this object? Does it tell us? We'll find out. It sounds like a metal dildo is what it sounds like. Or a cheese grater. Ooh, gross. Yuri told his 99,000 followers, looks like I've got a new passion. One follower replied, hey, are you cheating on your wife? Oh my gosh. Yuri said, maybe, adding, I can't stand while she's in the hospital. Hospital? (laughs) That is bullshit. (laughs) I know, She's a fucking doll. The social media user said, you gotta spread your seed. Ew! Motherfucker. He needs to never procreate, so he needs to keep doing the doll. Right. Your seed needs to go absolutely nowhere. Yes. Another Instagram follower added, somehow I don't think your wife would have much to say about it all anyway. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I agree. I love you. Commenting on the video, Yuri also insisted to his followers it was wonderful. What? The cheating? I, I, yeah, I guess. Asshole. Yeah. And then it's just going in saying they met again at a nightclub because repetition is key here. (laughs) (laughs) And. Well, some people might not have heard the original. All right. So so. I'll keep going for you noobs. He met. We appreciate you noobs, by the way. Welcome. We're crazy. He first met her at a nightclub and the pair were due to get married in March this year before the coronavirus pandemic threw the world into turmoil. The ceremony was delayed a second time after he was attacked during a transgender rally in the Kazakh city of Almaty. See, that's one thing we have to figure out. Yeah. But I want to know, like, is he transgender? Like, did he go and dress as a woman or was it just like something I think he he's likes to, into? I think he likes to cross-dress. I don't yeah. think he's trans. I think he just likes to cross-dress. Or does seeing cross-dressed people turn him on as well? That's a possibility you as know, well. That could, so I he mean, either way, does do, it with humans as well. Uh, yeah, either way, do you, homie. Just don't get them just pregnant. Just stop fucking dolls. Do us all a favor. <laughs> and actually, inanimate think, objects. I think the world actually at this point is safer if he continues with dolls or yeah. inanimate objects. Don't spread so your he does seed. Not, yeah, yeah, exactly. got you. Okay. So, however, the pair had since settled into married life. Describing their relationship, Yuri said, in general, I began to be jealous of Margot. Oh, my God. Because she's made of rubber? I don't understand. Why are people not addressing the mental issues here? I have no idea. Because there's definitely something misfiring. So So he says, many men would like to imagine the same. After the wedding, I decided to show her less to people. I forbade her from Instagram. I did this a long time ago. Maybe. Oh, I, I, I know. <laughs> Maybe. It's almost over. Hold on. Oh, my God. Maybe I'm being too selfish. Can but, she actually post on Instagram, Yuri? You big no. dum-dum? Oh, my gosh. Dum-dum. He's a fucking idiot. Oh. But that's the beauty of Margot, that I can do this to her and she won't mind. <gasps> on Christmas Day, January oh. 7th in Kazakhstan. He said he might stay home with Margot and order steaks and sushi or have some fun with friends. Or a steak. Right. And one sushi roll. In the meantime, Yuri has to wait for her to get repaired. Mm. He added she is broken and now she's being repaired and she's in another city. When she recovers, it will be a gift for us both. Okay. So he's forbidding her from Instagram? She can't fucking type on Instagram. You post for her. Yeah. Katie's like totally speechless. I don't forbade. Listen, I know you're from Kazakhstan and I know that there are cultural differences. But however, she's a fucking doll. Yeah, they're not married to doll. You. Mm. But here's my thing. Okay. Also, which makes him a terrible husband. A, he married this doll, but he sees her as like a real person, right? Yeah. He's like, we have these feelings. We have this. No, just you fucking have it. It's you. But you weirdo. If you feel like this is a legit marriage and you guys are in love and all this stuff, 
cheating on her while she's getting repaired is still motherfucking fucked up. And it's, yeah, cheating is cheating. Yeah. I, I mean, because you're with, saying that with an inanimate object marriage. or not. I mean, if, I just No, can't. but still, but still, he's calling it cheating. So if he but is calling like, it cheating, cheating is cheating. And you think that that's okay, but you're going to forbid somebody. Like, well, yeah. Well, she wasn't here. So like, exactly. Uh, if you were doing that with a real wife, I would cut your balls off. Are you kidding me? Right. That's crazy. And then forbidding somebody, if it was a real person, you're forbidding somebody to be on Instagram, but she's okay with it. Exactly. When you're actually the one who types on her Instagram. Right. He's got <laughs> the worst I mean, it is fun to read his stories. He's a fucking mess. He's such a mess, And dude. I think the best part is, is he doesn't understand, like, he's too fucking flicted to understand that the world is legitimately laughing at him and being like, dude. Right. You're so far gone that yeah. it's ridiculous. And, like, his beliefs, again, believing that this doll is really his wife. And that he can if have he, sex with an inanimate object. He's better off. With, I mean, well, a dildo is an inanimate object. Yeah. But I also don't consider that cheating, so. No. But but what I was going to say is, like, if that's how you're going to treat your wife, who you consider to be your actual wife. Right. He's better off fucking dolls than marrying a real girl. Right. And because silver you're a terrible beaded, husband. Silver beaded objects or whatever. Yeah. Marry an object, marry a doll, but... You don't deserve a woman because you think it's okay to cheat. You don't even deserve a human being. Exactly. Yeah. I don't care who it is. You need a piece of plastic because they're not going to care how you treat them. Anyway, that's my thought on that. Yeah. I don't know. I can't wait to um, share the next guy. I haven't actually like read ahead because I want to be just as shocked and wowed <laughs> and amazed as you guys. He will be in... Two episodes from now. Yeah. So Katie's just, she's on a roll here. Now you have to keep it up. And you know, he just randomly popped up in my Facebook Probably feed. Probably it's like, this bitch looks at the guys who <laughs> marry dolls all the time. Well, so I found Yuri originally in like some weird thing in my Facebook feed. Yeah. And so now <laughs> this guy popped up in my Facebook feed and they're like, I see what this chick is into. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Like, <laughs> But he, that's so true. I think somebody in like one of these weird groups that I'm in. Oh my God. You're going to be labeled as like, oh, send this girl all the. Well, like, no, somebody posted like, I think it. I have a fetish at this point. No. Well, no, I don't comment on it, but somebody in um, one of these like weird groups that I'm in, it's like <laughs> uh, something about like audacity or something. Um, they posted it and I was yeah. like, oh, update. So I <laughs> So I went and I clicked on the article and I just saved it. Yeah, that's For like perfect. my twat podcast, like saved thing yeah. in my Facebook. So, man, well, Yuri, I don't like you. Right. You think your <laughs> doll done. can eat steak? <laughs> and post on Instagram, you and big idiot. sushi. Even your friend that is in all of those pictures is making this face. Yeah. Like, trying is. to keep a straight face. She knows how crazy this is. So weird. We are moving in. To serial killers. And uh, tonight I'm talking about the Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez. Hi, I'm Sophie from the Text Me When You Get Home podcast. And I like the power writing the podcast promo gives me. As I can now make Craig and Sean, my two co-hosts, say whatever I like. Take it away, Craig. We tell stories of murder, alien abductions, paranormal events, and more. Some of our recent episodes include The Black Monk of Pontefract, The Murder of John Allen Chow, and The Pendle Witch Trials. Wow, Sophie, you're so smart. This promo is outstanding. Thank you, Craig. I appreciate your honesty. Sean, anything you want to add? Yes, almighty Sophie. Search Text Me When You Get Home on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you usually find your podcasts, and listen today. Great job, guys. No, no it was, it was all, all you, you, Sophie. I'm a creep. 
The horror began in June 1984. Los Angeles was under siege. Death waited in the dark at the hands of a man they called the Night Stalker. After a 14-month reign of terror, he was finally caught. It was only then that his true identity was discovered. His name, Richard Ramirez. I am so pumped to talk about Richard Ramirez. I cannot wait to hear what you have to say about the Night Stalker. The Night Stalker. And not yes. the not the little mini series on Netflix. Yeah. The if, if you're man wondering himself. if this is just about that, it's not. Tis it not. Snot. Because that one was mostly about the police investigation, which is Fine. Except, I, I don't know about you, I did not watch that wanting to hear about some cop being like, oh my god, he chose me. Like, and then I was sitting at dinner with the guys from Homicide and I was like, how did I get here? Like, and then the this guy, is not a documentary about you, sir. Right. And then at the wedding, my cousin was like, I want to walk in with you yeah. because you're the, you're the big guy on the news right now. Yeah. It's like, who fuck, get back to Richard Ramirez, motherfucker. I don't right. care about you. I mean, they didn't even show his face. Or even play his voice until the last episode. Well, no, they did randomly in the background. Sort of, yeah. They would play like a quote by him. But they didn't talk about his, like anything about him really. His upbringing and any of that shit, which got him to where he is. Yeah. And I'm not glorifying him because he was a fucking monster. Monster. But, you know, people who are interested in true crime, zero killers... Want to fucking see the serial killer. And especially and, Richard Ramirez yeah. of all fucking people. And you didn't see him one time Mm-mm. until halfway through the very last episode. Yeah. So that I was, was like, infuriating. Yeah. I didn't like that at all. I'm but, so excited to hear what you have prepared. All right. So, Ricardo Leva Munoz Ramirez. Say that ten times Also fast. known as Richard Ramirez. <laughs> Was an American serial killer, serial rapist, kidnapper, pedophile, and burglar. His highly publicized home invasion crime spree terrorized the residents of the greater Los Angeles area and later the residents of the San Francisco Bay Area from June of 1984 until August 1985. So... Richard was born in El Paso, Texas on February 29th, 1960. This is what you won't hear on the Night Stalker. He was born on a leap year. He was. Yes, I did notice that. His father was a Mexican national and a former Cuidad Juarez policeman who later (laughs) became a laborer at the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe Railway and was prone to fits of anger that often, often, often resulted (laughs) in physical abuse. Shocking. With his children. So he would supposedly punish Richard by tying him to a cross in a cemetery, (gasps) leaving him there overnight. Now, like a really young Richard. So apparently he really loved his kids. His name was um, Julian, I believe. He apparently grew up in an abusive household himself and probably hated it, but then, you know. Carried on the tradition. Carried on the tradition. Yeah. But at the same time, it's said that he would do anything to protect his kids. Like, Which is even, such an oxymoron. Right. Like, he loved his kids. He just had a fucking terrible temper. Mm-hmm. Um, like, even when Richard was found guilty of all his crimes, he called a lawyer and was like, how can we help my son? Oh, my gosh. You know, so he did love his kids, but he just, he was broken from his childhood, mm-hmm. and he did the same shit. And I'm sure that didn't help with Richard's mental state. Yeah. Being tied to a cross in a fucking cemetery. And left there overnight. Yeah. That's so scary for a kid. For anybody, but for a little kid, my God. I can't imagine. So Richard was the fifth child of Mexican immigrant Julian Ramirez and Mexican American citizen Mercedes Ramirez. So her parents came to the U.S. before she was born. Mm -hmm. And they had her in Colorado. So, because her parents are, you know, Mexican nationals. She was a nationalized. And she was born in. Or naturalized, here. I'm sorry. Yeah, right. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Kitty, stop fucking at my shit. 
<laughs> anyway, I know this is serious. We're getting we're getting there. Okay? I have to stay lar- lighthearted about this because <laughs> lart hearted. I have to stay lart hearted about this because yeah, this is, this is such a dark it is hole that we're about to go down, and it's just that's how I have to stay like yeah, in my zone. I have comments on that when this is done for mm-hmm. sure. So anyway, he was the fifth child. Um, let's see. His mother worked at a boot factory where she was exposed to chemical fumes when she was pregnant with him and all of them. And supposedly, while she was pregnant with Richard, this caused her body to try and reject the fetus, which would have saved the world a lot of hurt. But unfortunately, as we all know, this did not happen. Yeah. Yeah. All of his siblings had birth defects, Hmm. ranging from respiratory difficulty to bone deformities. But by all accounts, Richard was born a happy and healthy baby. Hmm. That's debatable. <laughs> well, I think this will show you. Like, he might have started out as a normal person. Right. At the age of two, he almost died when a dresser fell on him. So he was left home a lot because his mom worked at the boot factory but she also took up odd jobs to, like, be able to pay for stuff. Right. And the dad, too. Like, so, again, they weren't the best parents, but they worked as much as they could to be able to, like, provide for their family, you mm-hmm. know, because they weren't willing to lose their kids. Right. So, during this event, he was supposed to be watched by a babysitter. And I think there was, like, an alarm clock or something on top of a dresser. And clearly the babysitter wasn't watching. And he started climbing up the dresser and it fell over on him when he was two. Um, Hence now that's a big reason why they make like those anchor kits for the back of furniture. So they don't fall over on kids. Exactly. So this knocked him unconscious for 15 minutes. Brain damage. It also left a huge gash on his forehead that required 30 stitches. Stitches. (laughs) And he suffered from a concussion. A second serious head injury occurred when Richard was five. He was hit in the head by a swing on the playground and again was knocked unconscious. And again required stitches. After the second injury, Richard began experiencing epileptic seizures. He would stare off into space, unable to move or speak for up to 15 minutes at a time. Doctors said he would eventually grow out of it. This sounds like... CTE, but on, like, a kid. I don't know what that is. CTE is, like, that um, brain damage that, like, football players and shit get, like, athletes get. Like, concussion shit? It, yeah, but it's, like, the damage done to, like, repeated blows to the head. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah. It's, like, irreparable damage to the brain. Right. But it sounds like, because he was a kid, it almost sounds like he's having that same kind of, it affects your mood, it affects your mobility, it affects everything. So he was diagnosed with epilepsy, and it went totally untreated. They just said he would grow out of it. Oh, my God. So it's now known that he was experiencing petite mall seizures, which is where you do, you're you unable to move or speak. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're convulsing. Right. But, yeah. Yeah. So. Those are the ones where you just kind of, like, fall over and you're just. Right. Yeah. So both of these hit him in the forehead. Right. So that's your frontal lobe. Yeah. There is no other part of the brain where lesions can cause such a wide variety of symptoms. The frontal lobes are involved in motor function, problem solving, spontaneity, memory, language, initiation, judgment, impulse control, Mm -hmm. and social and sexual behavior. Mm -hmm. So not saying that he wouldn't have grown up to be a terrible person because there's a lot more in his life that, you know, leads up to him being terrible. But this didn't help. But this did not help. No. No. And his mom did do the right thing. She took him to the emergency room. She took him to the doctor. Yeah. And they just told her he would grow out of it. And it's like... Uh, second opinion, please? Yeah. God. Well, she went to the regular doctor. She went to the emergency room. Right. Like, none of them did anything. Yeah. And in the 80s, I mean, things, obviously... Well, this was in the 60s. Oh, duh. Obviously. You know, and... Get I'm, us together, Kenny. Jesus. Do Listen some to ma- what I'm saying. Do some math. Well, she always says we don't math. We don't math, we vodka. Well, now we don't math, we seltzer. <laughs> Today, we seltzer. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, definitely back then, they didn't, obviously, know half the shit that they but know now. But apparently, there were medications for it. And well, yeah. none were prescribed. So, anyway, that could be part of, you know, his issues. 
Now, the seizures eventually resulted in him being removed from his position as quarterback on the high school football team. (laughs) Okay. So that probably pissed him off, too. And playing football didn't fucking help either. Well, yeah. Taking hits. Prone to concussions. Well, exactly. Yeah. Even more like CTE type shit like I'm talking about. But he loved football and he was taken off the team. Yeah. So that's going to make him. rage. And someone who's already like got mental issues. Right. Who gets ragey is not good. That's no good. Trust me. I know. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Well, yeah. I'm sitting right next to one. Right. I'm just kidding. I just don't have. I'm not a serial killer. Yet. Or a psychopath. Yet. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, so also around this time when he was kicked off the football team, his brothers Robert and Ruben were placed in the learning disability class. Oh, no, no. This was not in high school. This I'm going back a little bit to when he was a little Taking kid. it back. Taking it back to when he was a little kid. Okay. So his brothers Robert and Ruben were placed in the learning disability class taught by Frank McMahon. Mr. McMahon, on the outside, was a wonderful teacher who really took interest in his students and truly wanted to see them succeed. But. So much so that he would visit the children at home to work with them outside of school. This doesn't sound good. No. And this is going to be very graphic. This sounds like a preface to something awful. If you guys want to fast forward, go ahead. Don't. (laughs) Listen to our fucking podcast. (laughs) So, what Mr. McMahon would really do at his home visits, he would take each child into a room and perform oral sex on the kids. Was this only the two that were in his class? No. Oh, Jesus. Nope. Okay. He was an obsessive pedophile. Hmm. So, he came to the house because of um, Robert and Ruben. Mm -hmm. But... Again, the parents aren't home because they're working constantly. Right. So Richard is there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he ever messed with the daughters or the not. The other two, right. But um, when asked later on in life, the older two, if Richard had been subjected to this, they were like, we're not sure, but I think so. Like, he mm-hmm. took him into rooms. So clearly. It sounds like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's still unknown Ugh. to this day exactly how many victims Mr. McMahon had because many of them have not come forward. But when Richard was in seventh grade, his grades began slipping. Oh, what I forgot to tell you, though, about Mr. McMahon uh-huh. um, is he would also do this to the kids at school in the bathroom. <gasps> he would take them into the bathroom and perform oral sex on them. That's what got him off. Ew. I know. What a fucking monster. So when this is why I make jokes, guys, because this shit is fucking deep. Yeah, it is deep. When Richard was in seventh grade, I mean, sorry. Can you imagine if you found out someone's doing that to your child? Literally, no. Right. Because somebody would be fucking dead. The hardest choice is like, what do you do? Because if I do what I want to do, then I'm going to be in jail and can't take care of my kid. Right. Or you have to go through the proper channels and all that fucking shit that takes forever. Hope. Hope. That justice is actually served. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, (laughs) O.J. Simpson. Right. Justice Mm -hmm. isn't always served. Exactly. Anyway, (laughs) at the age of 10, Richard began spending nights at cemeteries and also began smoking marijuana. I wonder if he would sleep in cemeteries because he used to be tied up in cemeteries and had to sleep there. And maybe he started to feel safe there because. Because he was away from his dad. And Mr. McMahon. Well, yeah, that's true, too. He's like, the dead can't hurt me. You know what I mean? Right. At least it's quiet here. When he was 12 years old, his cousin Mike had returned from his second tour in Vietnam, and they began spending time together. He was so excited to see his cousin when he came home, because he viewed him as a war hero. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, however, Uh-oh. his cousin... Mike would show Richard photos of Vietnamese women he had raped, (gasps) tortured, and killed. One photo showed Mike holding a woman's decapitated head, and others showed Vietnamese women being forced to perform oral sex on the soldiers while a gun was pressed against their head. It almost sounds like there's a genetic component. Oh, yeah. To how fucked up. His entire fucking family is. Right. And then you tie in all the other shit that's happened. Jesus. Fuck, man. He also taught Richard how to 
keep hidden and kill with stealth. Oh, great. But these photos excited Richard. Oh, great. So that tells you he's already got that gene. Yeah. You know what I mean? When Richard was 13, he witnessed Mike shoot and kill his wife and was affected by this for the rest of his life. Now, in a bad way. What happened was, you know, so Mike clearly had some form of PTSD and he was, whatever he did, you know, in Vietnam or whatever, mm-hmm. had made him look at women probably like they were just objects, you know? Yeah. So, but his wife didn't realize this. So he gets home from Vietnam and she's giving him time to find a job and make money and all this stuff. Well, he's just fucking taking his damn time and he's not getting a job and he's so not he's, providing for his family. So he's not like reacclimating. So she is like, look, you need to get a job. Like since you've come home, I've given you so much time, but we need to pay our bills and all this stuff. And he goes and pulls out a gun and she's like, whatever. I am not afraid of you. And he shoots her in the head. Right Just in like front that. Of Richard. Mm-hmm. So shortly before that, he had begun burglarizing people's homes, committing petty theft, skipping school, and becoming addicted to cannabis. <laughs> I love when people are like, "You're addicted to pot." You're addicted to cannabis. It's like, oh, okay. I mean, I know, like, I know it can happen. Like your body like feels the need for it, but people are like, "It's a gateway drug." It's like, is it? Yeah, I've tried <laughs> that shit a hundred times, and I don't do right. any other drugs. Is it a Gateway to like the Hershey factory. <laughs> yeah. Come on. To a bag of Cheetos. To, yeah. Because when that. me and you used to smoke all the time in high school, the only gateway it opened was the door to McDonald's. <laughs> oh my God. Remember <laughs> when you would eat like Cheez Its or saltines after you smoked, but your mouth was so dry, you like had to inhale like sand after you chewed them up? It was like horrible. <laughs> I remember going to McDonald's and we were like, Ordering everything off, like, the left side of the menu. We were like, and a large sweet tea. <laughs> and the tea would be gone before our food. And we were like, oh, no. <laughs> Can I get a free water with that? <laughs> Anyways, we digress. Yes. <laughs> Moving on. Side note. <laughs> so, during the burglaries, this is when he's 13, okay? Okay. During oh, my the, God. Yeah. This is when he started with that shit. During the burglaries, he enjoyed walking around in homes and going through the residents' belongings. But what he really got off on was knowing that they were home while he was in his in their house. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the thrill of almost getting caught. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. During a trip to Los Angeles to see his brother Ruben, who's also a petty criminal, Ramirez <laughs> was taught more about burglaries from him. After returning to El Paso, he enrolled in the Jefferson High School, but dropped out after less than a year. The only subject which he did well in was physical education. He would hunt... Because it doesn't, it doesn't require brain. <laughs> <laughs> he would hunt animals with his family when they were available. If they were not, he would go alone. He particularly enjoyed sneaking up on them and then stabbing them and gutting them. Ugh. Which is how... Most serial so killers. many serial killers. Yeah, start. yeah. Ugh. He liked watching horror movies and began to attend Jehovah Witness meetings, where Ugh. he became interested in Satan. So, I don't know much. Where about do you Je- get Satan right. from? Jehovah's I don't know much Witness. about Jehovah's Witness. I would assume they're not like Satanists, they're but not. he must have met someone who introduced him to Satanism. <laughs> That's an interesting place to find a Satanist. <laughs> well, that's what they say. Because that is. Oh, not what Jehovah's Witnesses are about. Sorry about Moose barking his ass off in the background. (laughs) He's not even near our room, but his voice carries. I mean, he is like 200 pounds. I apologize for that. Anyway, at the age of 15, while Richard was still in high school, he briefly held down a job at the Holiday Inn, but was fired a few months later for entering a woman's room and attempting to rape her. Why am I not even a little bit shocked? But was stopped by her husband. And her husband beat the shit out of him. Good. But listen to this. Uh-oh. Like, the this crime spree could have been resolved so much earlier on so many times. But because the couple was from out of state and they were on holiday, <laughs> they... The way you said that was funny. <laughs> they wanted to continue their vacation 
And so they would not testify against him. They pressed no charges on him. Fucking idiots. So it's like, you really got to think about, okay, we're not going to press charges on this guy. Because I don't want to be inconvenienced. Exactly. But so now he'll have no record when he does it to someone else. Right. Like, what the fuck? Way to be selfish. I mean, I get it. You're on vacation. You probably have been waiting for it forever. But your court date's not going to be during your motherfucking vacation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just let him go on and do it to someone else. That's cool. He's working in a fucking hotel where he could literally do it to anyone at any time. Well, while he was at the hotel, he was able to steal one of those, like, cards that's like a skeleton key. Yeah. And that's how he ended up getting in a room. Of course. So at the age of 16, he was already a skilled burglar. And shortly after turning 18, he moved to Los Angeles permanently. In El Paso, marijuana was cheap and easily accessible, so Richard bought a bunch of it and he took it to L.A. and he would sell it to pay for, like, his hotel rooms and shit like that while he was there. As the money ran out, though, he began to burglarize homes and made money selling the stolen items. So that's where this home invasion starts, Mm -hmm. right? That makes sense. He especially enjoyed robbing homes when the occupants were there. He'd watch them through the windows and wait till they were asleep. He got off on the fact that he was in someone else's home while they were there. I guess that's where the term stalker, like night stalker came from. Yeah. One night in the summer of 1978, he bound a lesbian woman who I believe was his friend And he had smoked PCP with her and she like, I guess he made a move on her and she was like, don't waste your moves on me, man. I'm not into dudes. I'm a lesbian. Right. Right. And he's like, oh, okay, whatever. So he leaves, but he's really just hiding out and he waits for her to go to bed. Right. And he's night stalking through the windows, you know? So he broke in back into her house because she turned him down, you know, when she was sleeping and he just raped her repeatedly. <gasps> yeah. She, he didn't kill her yet. He wasn't like part the serial killer thing. It's like, dude, yet. you weren't even rejected and like put in the friend zone. She doesn't even like dudes. Right. Exactly. Oh, wow. But he, you know, he didn't like that. Clearly. <clears throat> so during this time in his early days of, being in LA, his interest in Satanism evolved and he be- became involved with the church of Satan. And he even at one point he met Anton LaVey. Hmm. So I tried to look up more on that and like to see how it went, but you know, they were super like secretive back then. So there wasn't a lot of stuff on that. So let's talk about his victims because once he raped that girl, mm-hmm. That's when his whole spree began, right? It's like he needed that first taste. And so then that it was, was in, like... Yeah. That was in 78, right? And then I guess... Because his spree didn't really start till 1984, mm-hmm. I believe. But they have linked one murder to him that was before 1984. They just didn't know until like after the fact, after his whole trial and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, But the weird thing too, was that as you know, his victims ranged widely in their age, their sex, couples, singles. There was no like rhyme or reason. He just picked random people. He would in most cases commit his murders in the victim's homes and then steal their jewelry and valuables. After which he would most of the time, hang around and make a snack before exiting the home. So watching it was so crazy. Cause you know, we were alive when this happened, mm-hmm. you know, we were born in the eighties also. Thank God we were on the opposite coast. But yeah, but they had no fucking DNA shit back mm-hmm. then. You know, mm-hmm. they could, if there was the, the murderer's blood, if they happen to find that they could only know what blood type it was. So it'd be like a little bit of a clue, but not. But not really. But not really. Yeah. Unless it was like that one rare type. Right. It didn't matter. Because now if a killer is going to leave like 
half-eaten sandwich or a half-drank soda on the counter, like, yeah. they've got your ass. Yeah, because like, they had pictures done. of, like, fucking Mountain Dews and, yeah. like, half-eaten, like, turkey sandwiches and shit. And it's yeah. like, okay. Like, half-eaten bananas. Like, you would be so done. But back then, that's why these serial killers got away for so long because... They could leave whatever fucking evidence they wanted behind. And that's exactly why they did yeah. it. Because they could. Rape, he raped all these people and mu- like so much DNA was left behind. I but can they only, couldn't do uh, anything with it. I can only imagine how many like, you know, whatever was in a rape kit at that time. I can only imagine how many are just sitting in boxes still waiting to be retested against DNA that they have now. Right. To be solved. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because I remember like... Even just watching, like I knew this is how they did it, but even just watching them try and look at fingerprints from cards, mm-hmm. waiting for new prisoners to come in and have to like match up cards. Could you imagine how infuriating that would be? No. When God. I was watching them do the fingerprint thing and they had that little magnifying glass, what actually entered my mind was like, how many times did they get it wrong? It had just, to be at least doing a 50% it percent fail rate. Yeah. I mean, the computer version now, there's like no way of denying it. Yeah. But back then, when you had this guy with this fucking Could you you imagine know, some magnifying like, glass in his eyes, like, yeah, they met. Some cop that was drinking whiskey at fucking lunch, and they're like, meh. Yeah. I don't think this is a match. And then they were you like, let we the had killer like, go, and you get we an had like a man. Oh, we had like a partial, and it's like. How do you know what part of the finger that was? <laughs> yeah. How do you know which finger that was? What are you even comparing it to? Right. So, okay. So, even though he had already raped women and stolen before June of 1984, the killing spree that led to him being caught took place in the greater Los Angeles area and San Francisco until August of 1985. So, his first murder, which again wasn't found out until like after all the other murders were um like, like prosecuted like when this person died obviously there's no serial killer on the loose yet so they just didn't know who did it mm-hmm. you know um so it would have basically been a cold case it was may may ling a nine-year-old Ugh. who he beat and raped before stabbing her to death he then hung her body from a pipe Jesus Christ. And that was in April of 1984. So this is actually when the Night Stalker killing spree really begins. And the following crimes took place as follows. In June, uh, June 28th of 1984, 79-year-old Jenny Vincow was stabbed repeatedly while asleep in bed. Her throat was cut so deeply that she was nearly decapitated. Ugh. March 17th. Can you imagine how much strength that takes to be able to cut somebody that deeply? I feel like he probably blacked out while doing it and just fucking gave Which is even everything. more disturbing. Right. But that that's what I feel like. He's that fucking <gasps> mentally I Ill. mean, you look at him and you, I mean, you saw how he was built. He was like scrawny. A skinny. Yeah. Yeah. He, and then he once was, he got into drugs, he was like really skinny and his yeah, teeth were fucked. He was built like a bitch. Yeah. And then you see what he did, and it's like, how the fuck did that dude do those horrendous things? The guns and all that shit, the guns, the machetes, the whatever else he used, gave him power. Because I mean, yeah, but... When, when he was caught... And a lot of times, the people were, like, asleep. That's a bitch move. But the amount of strength it has to take to be able to cut through somebody's throat... To the point where they're almost decapitated. Well, she was probably gone by the time he got that deep. Of course. He just, yeah. And I'm so, just talking strength. Like, yeah. how strong you have to be able to, ugh. Oh, like mentally strong? No, physically strong. I'm not talking about her fighting back. I'm talking about the actual act of physically doing it. Yeah. Ugh. I don't know. Shows you where my brain goes. So, June 28th, 1984 was So, his... you were one day shy of being a year old. I, yes, I was, um, 364 days, 364. Oh no, I was only 364 days days old. old. Yeah. 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 (laughs) But that seems to be the only murder other than what they now know of Mei Ling in 1984. Okay. March 17th, 1985. This is when shit starts getting crazy. Dale Yoshi Okazaki, 34, 
she knew he was in the house, so she hid behind a counter. She slowly lifted her head above the counter to see if he was still there, but where she messed up. So she's behind the counter, right? Mm -hmm. She puts her hands up on the counter, Mm -hmm. but she's ducked below it. So he can see He can see her hands, yeah. So she, you know, lifts her head up to try and peek over the counter. Bang, shoots her in the forehead. 22-year-old Maria Hernandez, who was her roommate, was coming home at this time. So actually, the show Night Stalker, it shows that Maria Hernandez came home first, right? Mm -hmm. And... As she is closing the garage, he comes in. He holds the gun up and she gets scared. So she puts her hands up in front of her face. He shoots her in the face. She drops. He then goes in the house. And then I guess Dale Yoshi Okazaki, Mm -hmm. I guess she hears probably a gun go off. And so she hides. Right. Mm -hmm. But again, has her fingers on the counter, which is make or break. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So he goes in, shoots her. And what happened with Maria Hernandez is by some, like, it was not her time. Okay. Mm-hmm. The bullet ref- or deflected off of her keys, her car keys that were in her hand, did not penetrate her at all. But she had the sense of mind to fucking fall down and play, play dead. Play dead. Yeah. So he thinks he killed her. And then he goes in the house. Well, while he's in the house, she sneaks out to go around the front of the house because she assumes he's going to come back out through the um, garage. Mm -hmm. So as she's sneaking around front, he exits through the front door. Mm. And she's right there in front of the front door because she's trying to check on her roommate. And um, he looked at her and he was so shocked because he thought he fucking killed her. Yeah. And she looked at him and was like, you already shot me once. Like, please don't do it again. Yeah. And he just walked by her and left. He let her see his whole face and all this stuff. And he just left. Mm -hmm. But he had already gotten what he needed out of murdering the other one. Dale. Yeah. Yeah. So she survived and she was able to provide a composite sketch, but it didn't end up leading them anywhere. Well, yeah. Did you see the fucking sketch? Ew. It looked nothing like him. Oh, yeah, it was it was really He had, like, a fucking good. jerry curl. <laughs> he had these wide eyes. Yeah. It's like, of course that didn't fucking catch him. <laughs> yeah. All of these people are like, yep, that's him. And then you see Richard Ramirez, and you're like, no, it's fucking no, not. that's definitely not him. <laughs> it's not even close. But anyway, <laughs> he let her live. Mm-hmm. Because, and looking back, after reading a lot about him, I feel like he thinks she was meant to live. Because he was so sucked into this Satanism, which also meant he really believed in Jesus Christ as well. So he figures she didn't die when I shot her in the face. So like for a she reason. gets to live. Yeah. You know, like there's a reason. So he just walked away. But so he didn't get to rape Dale. He just shot her in the forehead. So... Why isn't that enough for you? He hadn't gotten (laughs) enough that night. Yeah. So on the same night, this girl, Veronica Yu, I don't know how she ended up pulling over her car. It didn't go into that. But anyway, she ended up pulling over her car because he was like harassing her or whatever. And he pulled her out of the car and he just shot her twice and killed her on the same night. So that's two victims in a night, which would have been three had he killed, um, Hernandez. Hernandez. Yes, Maria. So that was March 17th. March 27th, 1985, Vincent Charles Zazara and Maxine Lavinia Zazara were both shot. After which Maxine died, Richard mutilated mutilated her body with a knife. He gouged out her eyes, put them in a box, and took them with him. May 14th, 1985, Bill Doy was fatally shot and Lillian Doy was raped but left alive. May 29th, 1985, Mabel Bell, 83. Oh, this is the roommate. And her disabled sister, sister, Florence Nettie Lang, 81, were both bound and bludgeoned. Florence was choked with a cord and raped. 
They were found in a comatose state, but Mabel died from her injuries. Those Florence pictures survived. were fucking awful. Oh, yeah. I mean, all of them are. They were, but the old lady, ugh. Yeah. God. That yeah. one brought me to tears. I mean, they this, all should have, yeah, but I something fucking about... fucking cried watching this whole Something, Something about, stuff. like, old geriatric. It's like, you couldn't just let them live out their fucking lives in peace. I know. Seriously. But that's the whole thing that, like, is, like, part of his the, profile. Like, like, the whole randomness yeah. of... Yeah, I know. Ugh. Um, May 30th, 1985, Carol Kyle, 42, and her son were bound. Carol was raped but survived. July 2nd, 1985, Mary Louise Cannon was stabbed repeatedly and died. July 5th, 1985, Whitney Bennett, 16, was attacked while sleeping, but as Richard tried to strangle her with a phone cord, he saw sparks come off of it, which made him think that Jesus was saving her, so he fled, which is why I think maybe he left um, Maria Hernandez alone, right. too. Right, that makes sense. July 7th, 1985, Joyce Lucille Nelson, 61, was beaten in her home. Sophie Dickman was held at gunpoint, and Richard attempted to rape her but was unsuccessful. He kicked her so hard in the head that it left an imprint of his shoe on her face which they were able to match to other crime scenes. So one big factor of a lot of crime scenes was his shoe print. Oh, that's right. That weird Avis or... Avia. Avia, that's yeah. right. Uh, July 20th, 1985, Maxon and Leah Needing were attacked. He walked into their bedrooms and began hacking at them with a machete and then continued to mutilate their bodies after they were dead. On the same day, he shot Chainarong Kovaneth and raped some kid Kovaneth. I probably said that wrong. It sounds weird, but I'm not sure how to say it. August 6, 1985, Christopher and Virginia Peterson were shot, but both survived. They were fucking shot in the head, each of them. And they both survived. No brain damage, nothing. August was 18th. that when he switched to the 22? No, the 22 was what he had been using. It was when he switched to like the 25 or whatever. Oh, that's right. Okay. Um, I had it backwards. Let's see. Not that it fucking August matters. 8th, 1985, Sakina and Ilias Abowith were both attacked with Ilias fatally shot and Sakina raped and survived. August 18th, 1985, Peter and Barbara Pan were both killed and Barbara was raped. On August 24th, 1985, Bill Carnes was shot three times in the head, but survived. What kind of life is that? And his fiancée, Inez Erickson, was raped. During the attack, he told her that he was the Night Stalker and made her swear that she loved Satan. When he was leaving, he turned to her and said... Tell them the Night Stalker was here. She was instrumental in giving a detailed description of Richard to the police. Richard would draw satanic symbols on the walls of the victims, or the victims' homes, and the ones he didn't kill, he would make them swear to Satan. There was also one where he carved Jack the Knife in the wall with, like, a bloody... Like blade or whatever. Blade. Yeah. And drew satanic symbols. Ugh. Now, at some point during this killing spree, Richard was creeping around the Romero family house at night. He saw the couple, the husband and wife, sleeping through the window, but he didn't realize that their teenage son was awake. So the teenage son said that he saw Richard through the window and says he looked right at him. So he ran to wake up his parents and Richard took off, but not before they got a partial plate number, make and model of the orange Toyota hatchback that he drove. So things are starting to fall in place. I mean, I guess they all have to fuck up at some point, right? This didn't help them much at all. I mean, they knew what it, like what car he drove, but the sketches weren't working. Clearly, because it looked nothing had, like him. He had no, like, 
uh, what do they call it? Like modus operandi or whatever. Modus operandi. Where he, it was just so fucking random. Mm -hmm. You had no idea where this bitch was going to go. You know, all they had was a shoe print. Right. It was happening like crazy in LA. And then all of a sudden it's happening in San Francisco and it's matching. And it's like, what the fuck? Yeah. So, and also, you know, some of the victims that survived were able to describe to the police kind of what he looked like and stuff like that. But some of the police sketch artists, like, weren't good at their job. Clearly. And the the people who survived are like, um, that's not really what he looks like. But they were like, I couldn't get the sketch artist to make it what he looked like. So they didn't know if he was a gaunt white man because he was, like, all crazy, crazy on drugs and shit. So his face was all, you know, gaunt looking. And so they didn't know if he was, like this emaciated white man or if he was light Light skin skin Latino. Latino. Yeah. Um, and I, and even worse, like in the dark, it would be even harder to tell. Right. But from one of the sketches, a small time criminal named Jesse Perez, (coughs) excuse me. (laughs) I like the way you looked at the microphone when you did that. I got to get this out. (laughs) Anyway. So a small time criminal, Jesse Perez recognized him immediately somehow. From those terrible sketches. He knew Richard as Rick and quickly realized that he could be the Night Stalker. So Rick was, you know, a thief as well. And like had, I don't know, charges over his head. So he had his daughter call the police. And they told him, or they told the police that Jesse would talk to them about Rick. But only if they agreed not to arrest him for outstanding crimes. Hmm. And they agreed. Jesse told them that Rick was well known around the bus station and he had a 22 caliber automatic, which was a match for many of the murders. After interviewing more people at the bus station and hearing their stories about Rick, they knew for sure it was a match. On the morning of August 28th, the car was found outside a shopping center in Los Angeles County. Though Ramirez was also careful not to leave behind fingerprints, he forgot to wipe off the back of the rearview mirror. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Wasn't that car stolen? Yes, it was stolen. When the print was matched to those of the prints on file, the Night Stalker task force released his name and picture to the media. The police made a statement to the media, quote, We know who you are now, and soon everyone else will. There will be no place you can hide. So, during this time... Richard left L.A., boarded a bus to Arizona to see his brother, but after a phone call with him after he arrived in Arizona, he knew that he was not welcome at his brother's house. So he hung around the bus station in Arizona because he was just, I guess, really comfortable at bus stations. (laughs) So that's just, like, where he hung out. Um, He was trying to figure out what to do and just ended up buying a ticket back to L.A. On August 31st, 1985, Ramirez was in East L.A. when shoppers at a liquor store saw him pick up a newspaper, look at his photo on the cover, and run. So one, some stories say, like, he gets off the bus back in L.A. and he goes out to breakfast. And while he's there, he sees these, like, older Spanish ladies staring at him and they're like, like they recognize him and they're saying El Matador, El Matador, which is the killer, the killer. And he's like, what the fuck? You know? So he looks around and they say there he sees the newspaper mm-hmm. and he's like, shit. So he runs out and leaves and I guess he goes to this liquor store. That was one story. This one just says he looked at the newspaper at the liquor store. Anyway, so this story says that shoppers at the liquor store recognized who he was and they called the police. Police gave chase in their vehicles with helicopters overhead while Ramirez entered a neighborhood where he attempted to steal a car. Mm-hmm. So at this time, what's happening is the cops are chasing him, the helicopter's overhead, but like just regular people from these neighborhoods are like, oh my God, it's him. We can't let him get away. So they're, it's like forming this mob, right? So they're all chasing him at this point. So he went to get another vehicle and Angie De La Torres was the driver who was trying to pull out and she fought back. But Ramirez punched her in the stomach and secured her car keys. A neighbor, 85-year-old Jose Borgen, ran out and Ramirez threatened to shoot him if he came closer. Now, he kept telling people this, but 
they began to tell that he didn't even have a gun on him. Onlookers joined in to help restrain Ramirez, including De La Torre's husband, who hit him on the head with barbecue utensils, according to the police. <laughs> but Mar- Ramirez managed to escape their grasp. He ran down the street as the group pursued him. And as this is happening, like, more and more people from the neighborhood are joining in. It's like something you'd see in a movie. Because, like you said, he's this gaunt-ass fucking drug addict, and he doesn't have a weapon on him at the time. Yeah. So they're all chasing him, and a metal bar ended up connecting with Ramirez's head, causing him to fall. So witnesses recount that Ramirez shouted in Spanish, It's me, it's me, I'm lucky the cops caught me. So authorities took Ramirez as a suspect who had terrorized the region for months into custody, and it wasn't until 1989 that he would be found guilty for 13 counts of murder, 5 counts of attempted murder, 11 sexual assaults, and 14 burglaries. He was sentenced to die in California's gas chamber. Following his sentencing, he was escorted past cameras to which he said, hey, big deal, death always came with the territory. I'll see you in Disneyland. (laughs) Ramirez ended up dying in custody from B-cell lymphoma in 2013 before facing the gas chamber. He was 53 years old. Big deal. That's always went with the territory. I'll see you in Disneyland. 